Welcome back, journeyers, to another episode of Reed Keeper's Journey. So with every journey, there are unforeseen twists and turns that make that journey that much more memorable. And that's what happened to me last week when my computer decided to have a catastrophic failure. So uh, needless to say, this episode is going to be shorter because I spent the majority of my time trying to recover my information on my computer. May she rest in peace. That being said, let's take a look at where we are in the story. The kids escaped from Lektok Mountain with Zoe, and now Michael and his gang are preparing to part ways with the other part of the group and make their journey to the woman with the eyes. Now, back to the story. Chapter 57 Michael checked the straps and harness of a saddle, adding to the now familiar sounds of a group preparing for a journey. A breeze blew, carrying a dry, cold smell. He looked at the sky, the dark clouds foretelling of a snow to come. He looked at the surrounding wood. The creatures that saved them the day and a half ago had not returned, and Calissa said they probably wouldn't. She called them the Natalist and the centurions called them the Negrum in hushed tones. Michael thought of them as dark elves, hyperboreans that went full native when they arrived in the new world. Out of all the things he had witnessed in this land, those dark elves were by far the most disturbing. They were inhuman and driven by unknown motives, and Michael believed they would have watched his company be torn to shreds and not batted an eye, if not for Callista. He looked at Zoe. He was always looking at her now. She flashed a hesitant smile and then returned her attention to her saddle, then peeked over it again one more time. Michael couldn't keep the smile off his face, despite the aching of his cheeks and the fact that he had no idea what was going on with his emotions. It wasn't love, at least not the love he'd experienced in the past, that all-consuming need that never gave but only took. No, it was... It was more of a slow burn that from time to time burst into a fierce heat. But there was a comfort in it too, a gentle warmth spreading throughout his body. He also didn't know when the feeling originated. Was it when he first saw her, or when he thought she was going to return to her people, or maybe when she was kidnapped to appease Carr and the threat of losing her unmoored his heart? Nevertheless, whenever and whatever this feeling was, it was here now and it was strong. During the day and night they had taken to recover from their brush with death, Michael did his best to corner Zoe and tell her how he felt. Well, he didn't know how he felt, but if he didn't admit there was something there, it felt like he would burst, or worse, he'd blurt out some idiotic expression of devotion at the worst possible time. True to form, Zoe didn't make it easy for him to talk to her one-on-one. She'd either slip away when his head was turned, or was accompanied by at least three of her fellow dryads. He finally managed to get her alone by accident. Restless and recovered from the exhaustion that accompanied touching the Omnia, Michael roamed the dark, cramped quarters of the Lektok. He decided to check on Zine and almost ran into Zoe as she exited the room. They stopped and stepped back. Her, farther than him, he wanted to be close to her. They stood facing for a moment, Michael torn between letting her pass and wrapping his arms around her. He chose neither, 
but opted instead to take her hand and lead her to a small alcove. He looked at her, his head nearly brushing the curved ceiling of the cubbyhole, his heart hammering in his chest and still holding her hand. It was soft and strong, but familiar and exotic, almost like the texture of a flower. Now that he had her alone, words escaped him. His senses were full of her. He could feel the heat off her body radiating out and the smell of her sweet breath. And looking down at her, she loomed over him, larger than life, a tiny giant that stole away thought. He opened his mouth to say something, anything, to keep that moment from fleeing, to keep her from running off. Her lips parted as she leaned forward. Michael had kissed plenty of girls. Well, not a Steve amount, but his fair share at least. But nothing compared to that kiss. He couldn't say if it was long or brief. Time lost all meaning when their lips met. But when they pulled away, each were breathless. She rested her head on his chest for an eternity, then looked up and touched his cheek, promising that they would talk when it was all over. She turned to go, but he pulled her back, and they kissed again, and then she slipped away. The horse neighed, pulling Michael back to the present. He patted the black scion's neck, feeling the flush in his face, and stole another look at Zoe. He wished the first kiss happened somewhere besides the lek-talk damp hovels, but he feared it would have been impossible to get her alone once they began the final leg of their journey. All set? Michael asked Steve without looking up. Steve paused in mid-step. So those points on your ears aren't just for looks? Michael touched his ear. They weren't that pointy. Are you okay with this? Michael asked. What, leaving Ken? The guy who was going to sacrifice my girlfriend to the devil woman? Yeah, I think I'll manage. Michael nodded, but it wasn't as easy for him to write off one of his best friends. Still... People were dead because of Ken's actions, the first of which was Vania of the Boktoth limb by the side of the stream, burned alive by the canth when they first came here. He knew Ken conspired to bring him here, but Michael felt responsible for her death. Still, if Stacy were dying, Michael didn't know if he wouldn't do the same thing as his friend. Yeah, Michael said, pulling himself into the saddle. You riding? Not... Not at first. I want to stretch my legs a bit. Michael nodded, but he knew that Steve found out what Eb's nickname for him meant. Clegg was a type of annoying insect, like a horsefly. The dwarves made it apparent that riding was not encouraged among their ranks, which seemed crazy considering how short their legs were. Why are we riding? Can't you just... Steve gestured with his hand. It wipes me out, and she would feel it. Besides, I don't know if I can do it again. I was pretty desperate when I got us here. Is that why you didn't take us back to the tree? Yeah. Michael shook his head. Can you imagine having to start from the beginning all over again? Still better than fifth period calculus, Steve said. From the saddle, Michael surveyed the group. With Zine injured but likely to make a full recovery, Zoe would guide them to the border, accompanied by Callista. Canaeus would lead the dryads back home with the centurions riding with them. It would have all been easier with Trindok, but they couldn't wait for him to show. Every day they waited meant Michael and his friends changing more and their abilities becoming less potent. So you're off then, Eb said as Michael cantered up. Thank you for your help, Eb. 
You don't need to thank me. You need to pay me. If I live, I'll be at your beck and call. Thank you again for the sword, Grund. And if I live, I'll be calling you, Eb said, looking towards Half Dome. We've suffered long enough for Carr's grief. Time's come to reclaim Broughton Skull. His statement drew several eyes of approval from his comrades. As they said their goodbyes, the Dryads and Centurions heading south, and Michael and his gang turning west, the snow began to fall in big wet flakes that stuck to the ground. Zoe set a quick, steady pace in hopes of preventing getting bogged down by the snow, Michael assumed. It took a day to get clear of the mountains, which turned the snow into rain. They made camp in the mud, making Michael feel like they rode all day, only to be surrounded by cold and damp of the Lektok home. The next day came with no improvements to the weather. It was a long, sad ride in cold, hard rain. The constant downpour produced an isolating effect. With their hoods pulled over their heads and their eyes set in a downward angle to keep the rain from creeping into them, no one spoke, sequestered in their own dark thoughts. The rain even dampened Michael's fiery heart, which meant he only thought of Zoe every other minute, and even Steve failed to crack a joke. Instead, he chose to radiate just-let-me-be-miserable vibes like a cat after a bath. Days passed with them trudging through the wet, and Michael feared they would never be dry again, a warm, cozy fire sounding something out of a fairy tale. They rode through the rolling grass plains of California, which slowed their progress, choosing to avoid the huge Hyperborean road that led north to south, not knowing if the high priest still hunted them. During that time, Michael practiced examining the Omnia and the oneness of creation. It was easier now catching that elusive flying feeling. Trusting it was there helped. He didn't know if his ability was waning or if he simply had grown used to seeing the power of the Omnia, but it seemed fainter to him, less magnificent. Michael didn't try to talk to Zoe. The time and the weather wasn't right, and she didn't appear to be in a big hurry either. Besides, he still didn't know what to say except that he wanted to be near her. The only pleasure he was able to salvage from those long, wet days was in fulfilling the mundane tasks of making or breaking down the camp. He enjoyed how he and Zoe worked in tandem, silently going about their tasks, each anticipating the other's need. Michael liked to imagine them cooking dinner together, dancing around the kitchen. It was during those times that he worked out how he felt about her, well, enough to put into words at least. She felt like... home. Steve finally lost it on the tenth day. He threw back his hood, head wet and beard dripping, and yelled at the sky, Come on already! I'm sick and tired of this! Look at me! I'm soaked through! He pulled off his cloak and threw it on the ground. Then he dropped off his horse and started stomping on it. Uh, Steve? Michael said. What? Steve looked up to see they were surrounded by tall, hairy creatures. Well, that's just great. Well, that's all for this episode, Journeyers. I'll come back next week and we'll see who the tall, hairy creatures are. And hopefully, if all goes according to plan, the kids will meet and battle the woman with the eyes. We'll have the culmination of the entire story next week. So until then, 
Thank you for listening and be good to one another.